and welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. It's season eight and we're really excited to be once again teaming up with F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport. And let's face it, any chance to get close to Formula One this year, we are all over it. And the brilliant news is you can now return trackside thanks to F1 Experiences. Enjoy the very best race tickets and track hospitality, first class hotels, and unprecedented access you simply cannot get anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit f1experiences.com where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when checking out online. So, what are you waiting for? Experience the 2021 F1 season firsthand with exclusive access courtesy of F1 experiences. Get booking today at f1experiences.com. Hello everyone, Tim Sylvie here. Now, today's guest hails from Shanghai in China. And did you know, Harry Benjamin, that Shanghai is the world's largest city with over 25 million people, which means that more people live in Shanghai than they do in New Zealand by over five times. It's home to many attractions, including the famous Bund and the Shanghai Tower, which is the second tallest building on the planet with the tallest usable floor at 587.4 meters, which you can reach in no time at all because it's got the fastest elevators in the world, which reach a ridiculous 45.9 miles per hour. What do you make of that, Harry? And can you name the actual tallest building in the world? Your facts again, once again, no, no bounds. Well done on the research. Thank you. Um, the tall is it? I'm, I think it's in Dubai, isn't it? Isn't it like the the Burj Khalifa? Very I say? good. Yes, it is. Yes, it's, it's actually not much taller, and and the tallest usable floor in the Burj Khalifa is, I think, is actually lower than um, the okay. Shanghai Tower. So, you know. Interesting. I have to say, I've never been to China either. It's on my to-do list. My mum went about six or seven years ago and and walked the Great Wall. Wow, very cool. Um, So, uh, so, and the the views and and the history is is astounding. So, it's it's on the bucket list for sure. That's that's really cool. Um, I've been a few times. I've been to the Shanghai Grand Prix, and um, yeah, it's it's a fascinating city. I've got a good story about it and about hairy crabs, which I'll regale you with one day (laughs) that I had to had to eat, which was a, a terrible experience. Also, did you know you can't see contrary to popular belief? you can't see the Great Wall of China from space. It's a myth. Really? Oh, I thought you could. Think about it, right? It's it's mm, not that yeah, wide. Okay. It's 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 like the width of a, dual, of a dual carriageway or something. You can't see a dual carriageway from space. You cannot see the wall from space. Anyway, we, I could go There's on. only one way to find out. Go there. Yeah. Or go to, <laughs> or go to space. You need Richard Branson's money to do that. Exactly. Anyway, shall I introduce today's guest? I think we better get on with it, yes. So today we're joined by Guan Yuzhou. Hailing from the aforementioned Shanghai, he's China's leading light on the path to Formula One. He was Formula Two's top rookie in 2019, and he's picked up wins and podiums on his way to his third season in the championship. And with the support of the Alpine Academy, has his F1 sights firmly in place. At the time of recording, he's well on track to be in the hunt for the F2 title. We're here to dive into his life, career, passions and pastimes. Guan Yuzhou, welcome to the Motormouth Podcast. Hey guys, how's it going? Very good, thank you. All good, thank you, mate. Absolute pleasure uh, to have you on the show. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time as well. It's really, and for those who uh, 
are just listening to this, a brilliant setup you've got there with your Monaco trophy and pride of place in the camera angle as well. We'll come on to some of your F2 exploits uh, in a bit. But first of all, where are you at the moment in the world? Whereabouts are you? I'm right now in London, in the UK. That's why I'm based in Europe, basically. Yeah, of course, I suppose when you have to travel, especially travel being an absolute nightmare right now. But um, let's go back to the very beginning, first of all, if that's all right. You started karting at the age of eight. So what were the steps that led to you getting into a kart for the first time? It was actually, you know, the first ever time it was a go-kart. So, you know, the karting times. And yeah. it was actually like in a rental car, indoor <laughs> track. So it was actually really, you know, it was really scary. So the first time you go there, by then, you know, the rental car is mainly petrols and you smell the fuel, all that. Makes you a bit nervous, especially when you're first time new to it. And then my actually first attempt, I wasn't driving. I was in like a long two-seated go-kart behind my dad. So I had my eyes closed for the whole 10-minute <laughs> slot. And uh, then I was like, right, we should go home because I was scared. And obviously my friends convinced me to be you know try it once at least before I go and then I was like okay it take a lot, lot more like deep breath all that and uh, to to be you know attempt that and uh, yeah first time I drove it I absolutely loved it so uh, every weekend I started to go in there after school and uh, then obviously I was actually quicker than all the adults so that's one you know the they introduced me to outdoor track to be more professional races yeah. And it wasn't long before things got very, very good. And at just 12 years old, you headed to the UK to, to uh, set up in Sheffield, of all places, to compete in uh, Super One National Rotax. That's a huge, huge move for a young chap from Shanghai to do, culturally especially. How was that experience? It must have been a massive shock to the system. Yeah, definitely. I mean, firstly, to be moving outside your country that young is not easy. And uh, secondly, you know, not just moving outside country, you have, you know, the atmosphere of living and also of motorsports is completely different. And uh, I have to really, you know, adapt quite a lot and, uh, you know, pass, passing the language as well, because yeah. that's one of the toughest part when I was in the younger, younger guy. And uh, then, you know, it's the competition here in Europe or in UK is so much higher than back in Shanghai, in China and uh, yeah it wasn't easy so I have to really you know sacrifice a lot of my normal you know normal lifestyle so just mainly doing testing and study all the time so and then you know thankfully after obviously one year and a half I have to say of practicing you know improving I was you know become a championship contender and won all these titles. It's so easy to forget, isn't it? That if you know, just when you're just watching you guys race it out, it's so easy to forget that it's not just about what you're doing on track. You know, that's not just where your energy goes. There's so much uh, hard work and sacrifice that goes on in the background, not to mention just culturally, but also just adapting to a whole new lifestyle. It's so easy to forget that, isn't it? But you were you were adapting, and and 2015 you uh, you moved up to Italian F4 with uh, Prima, who are well known for being a very top team in, in the junior feeder series across the ladders and you ended up best rookie and vice champion so you must be thinking at this point okay I, I've got something here I can take this quite far was Formula One always in your sights? Yeah definitely it was always in my sight like why was it probably about 10 years old like 11 years old 
before moving up to UK, that was, you know, the main target of the long term in the future to become or become the first Formula One driver. And then, but, uh, you know, it's so far away when you're in karting stage. And, uh, you know, there's in past examples of people doing really, really well in karting and coming to Formula, you know, struggling a bit. And uh, we see quite a lot happening, so you never know. But uh, obviously the first year of Formula 4, I have definitely show, you know, I have the skills or potential to be, you know, reaching this dream maybe. And that's why, you know, everything became a little bit more realistic and I started believing more to be reaching that dream. And also, obviously, by then, 2015 was my first year with the Formula 1 team's junior program as well. So, you know, all this stuff adding up together gave me a bit more, you know, motivation, a bit more, how do you say, uh, thinking of my future can be maybe one day between two. Yeah, and and obviously you're with Alpine now, but back then, um, five or so years ago, or seven years ago now, you, you were originally spotted by Ferrari as part of their driver academy. That must have been quite a nice phone call to receive with the most successful and famous um, manufacturer in Formula One calling up going, yeah, you're not bad. Fancy joining our program? How did that feel? That felt absolutely amazing. Firstly, it probably was a more like an email than a phone call. And uh, <laughs> yeah, they asked me basically, tell me tell me to, you know, they saw my results obviously the, the year before I won both titles of the, you know, karting. And so they, they want me to go to Fiorano where they're based to do like a, a testing program. So that's including exercises in the gym, simulator work, a little bit of like overall behavior to see how you're doing. And uh, it was actually all good. And then obviously they decided to have me in the junior program. So I was absolutely honored to be joined that because you learn much more by, you know, following the F1 team than figure out everything yourself. So, and, and as you say, that must give you just so much more motivation to keep going, to keep going up through the junior ranks, which you did. You went through European Formula 3 for a couple of years as well and, and climbing up the ladder. I'm going to fast forward ever so slightly to now when you joined, uh, of course, what was then the Renault F1 team in a, in a development driver role as well, a little bit further. So I think that must have been at the end of 2018 into 19. Um, so that has now morphed into what we all know today as the Alpine Academy. Can you explain to us a little bit about how that first started your connection with Renault and then what exactly it means in, in to be a part of the academy, what you get up to, what that allows you to do and what your role entails on a sort of day-to-day -day basis or across a race yeah. weekend. Yeah, sure. So firstly, you know, the, the reason moving obviously from Ferrari to Renault, it wasn't an easy decision. It was like pretty, you know, going through all these long meetings, thinking ahead of the futures and the, then the main target is that's obviously reaching Formula One, but uh, Renault that can provide me much more opportunities in Formula One role, and uh, that's the reason I moved into them. And uh, obviously, we saw already, you know, first year we done, they let me to do the demonstration run in the 1000 Grand Prix in Shanghai, China, and also on the Saturday uh, demo of you know doing donuts inside the city of Shanghai for the first ever official time. That must have been mental. <laughs> yeah, that was, I think that was by the time still one of my most nervous moments <laughs> at the date. And uh, yeah, it was incredible. But, uh, you know, all this stuff, have, you know, showing all these opportunities they had. And also, you know, the last two and a half years plus this half year, 
we've been doing so much run around, you know, the two years old car program. It just provides me, you know, a lot more track time with understanding Formula One. And, uh, you know, it's it's a completely different world to what I'm used to in Formula Two with all different, you know, scenarios like driving styles, the car, the car behavior. So you need, you do, you do need time to be doing practice before you are ready for a seat. And uh, all this stuff, I think, is the main reason for it. And uh, in the other hand, you know, Joey Renault is a uh, first year. I was already like a test driver for them. So basically, you know, they give me like Formula One rookie testing days with the current car. So it's always nice to feel the difference between the two cars and uh, obviously back in the factory, a lot more simulator work as well behind the things to help team development the race cars. Now, we're going to come on to your Formula One activities in a bit more detail shortly. I want to first touch on Formula Two. And in 2019, uh, with you and I Virtuoso Racing, um, you picked up the brilliantly named Antoine Hubert Award. Um, and I know he was a friend of yours, um, so our thoughts remain with him and his family. Um, but you picked up that award um, named after Antoine for the highest place rookie. That must have been a pleasing moment, not least to receive an award with his name attached to it, but also just for you personally and professionally, um, making your way up the ladder to receive such a thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 2019 was a, a difficult year second half year, just not in terms of the overall results, because I think I had a pretty satisfied, you know, results at the end. But uh, in terms of, you know, how we lost a, a good friend of, you know, a lot of people in the paddock. And uh, it's like the first ever time for me as, you know, a young driver to experience all this stuff. So it wasn't easy, but uh, it gave me, you know, when I realized that uh, was probably a round to go, because by then I was already secure. I was a, you know, top rookie, and they said we have this award coming. So I was really, you know, impressed, and that's one of like my most favorite like trophies of all time, yeah. just because you know you have his name in it. And uh, then, yeah, of course, you know, first year jumping to Formula Two, I think my my days in Formula Three didn't exactly you know went well as I wanted. So we had a few issues, even though it was the last year we was nearly in the title fight and to some stuff going around. So Formula 2 really showed, you know, we have to, we are capable to, you know, fighting against three, four years experienced drivers. So that was a good thing. And uh, then obviously I knew it's even another step closer to Formula 1. So, yeah. yeah. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula 1, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers, and unprecedented access, including track tours, pit lane walks, VIP hospitality, and loads more. It really is the closest you can get to Formula 1, and thanks to F1 experiences you can return to the track this year and motormouth listeners can save five percent on your next f1 experiences package by using the code motormouth when booking online at f1experiences.com and and talking of formula one that the f1 blocks keep falling into place because in 2020 you were made official test driver for alpine making you the first chinese driver to occupy an f1 role within a manufacturer 
I'm curious to know, do, are you aware of the impact you may be having on Chinese motorsport during this period? And and how important is it for you personally to bring China further into the motorsport spotlight and really put it on the map internationally, outside of hosting its own races, obviously, but to have someone that the country can get behind? Do you feel that sort of sense of responsibility? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, uh, you know, a lot of people in China... Uh, you know, believing in me, and there's a lot of hopes from back home, that's for sure. Nevertheless, that can, you know, sometimes it goes into pressures, but uh, I like to have pressures anyway, so on my shoulder. And uh, in the other hand, it was always, you know, it's good to have those people never know motorsports. I started to watch motorsports because of me back home, and also those people like my friends never ever you know watched it once so when they see it on tv on the news they messaged me telling me <laughs> and uh, saying you're famous now all that stuff so it's always always nice to, to hear and from them but uh yeah obviously as we all know that never been a chinese driver ever to race at formula one grand prix so i'm trying to make this happen and uh, looking like you know the next two this year next year is going to be the most two years the most important for me in order to, you know, break, break that record. So hopefully I can make everything come true. And uh, of course, I'm working, you know, 10 times harder than, every, you know, I ever wanted to be, you know, reaching that. So yeah, hopefully this can come true. And for sure that will bring, you know, even more people from the whole country to be interested in motorsports. I think there are certainly going to be a lot of people behind you willing that to happen. And we all know, you know, it's not easy. You need so many things to go right for you to to find yourself into a seat. But one of those uh, things to go right is to take part in a free practice session uh, in Formula One, which, of course, you were given the opportunity to do just a few weeks ago. And that marked you actually as the second Chinese driver to do that since uh, marching Hua, I believe, way back when in the uh, the Caterham F1 days. Um, so you took part in that, of course, for Alpine uh, in Austria. Talk us through those emotions there and what it was like to do that first lap on a, uh, a live track on a Grand Prix weekend. And I believe you only finished, was it about four tenths off Esteban Ocon, who is now, of course, an F1 race winner? <laughs> yeah, I mean, going back to, you know, a few weeks ago, that was a special moment, special weekend for me to remember. I think, uh, firstly, not just because of, you know, we don't have a, any... Chinese driver attended this before, but uh, the other hand is that uh, it's always, you know, a dream coming true to be raced at the same circuit, same session. It's, you know, the idols or the, the drivers you're looking up to. I mean, I was, I'm sure you guys saw a picture of me like 2005 holding the Fernando's flag yeah, yeah. in Shanghai. And to, to be actually sitting in his car, not just driving alongside him. Yeah, I've done, done that last year. I've never been driving alongside him. But uh, it's, it's something unreal feeling. And uh, that first outing was, yeah, the feeling is really hard to explain. It's just like, you know, you don't feel everything is real because you're doing outing. So I was a little bit delayed of the starting time. So people was on flying laps, so I have to get out of the way. Just saw, you know, Hamilton, Max driving past you. It's something just incredible feeling because obviously these two people are the people I've never raced ever before who... Like people like George Lando actually raced against them in the past younger time. So it's something incredible. And uh, of course, like you said, finished P14 with the 
medium tire, so number one soft tires. So if the soft tire was actually even closer with Esteban, so it's a good, you know, good something good for me, also for the team, knowing I'm capable of you know doing that stuff. And it's not never easy in short of period of only one hour to adapting all this stuff. That's it's great stuff. It really is, and it's fascinating hearing you talk about it. And you obviously have such passion for it, and you're saying all the right things. Um, it, uh, one thing I'm keen to understand is we talk to a lot of ex Formula One drivers who are now maybe 40, 50, 60 years old. And one of the things we sometimes ask them is, um, "Did you realise at the time what you were doing?" And and the, uh, most of them say no. Like I was young, just going through the motions, just doing my thing. It wasn't until twenty years later I look back at the history books and go, "Oh my God, I was I was actually part of history. I was racing in Formula One." Do Do you ever stop and just be in the moment and consider what it is that you're doing, or are you just sort of going through the motions, getting on with day to day, and just you know seeing what happens? I think uh, a bit of both, to be honest. Like in the younger time, I was just going for the passion because I don't know what's, you know, in my future, what's going coming up. It's so far away from reaching Formula One. And right now, these three years, the moment I step into Formula Two, you know, the people who is really, you know, looking after you, looking up to you is massively, you know, there's even young drivers back home in China, you know. It's motivated by me and the ones having some tips from me and in order to, you know, help them for their racing career. So, I, I mean, I'm only 22 years old. I'm not like somebody like, I don't know, 40, 50 years old, have that much experience, but it's always nice having the young generation yeah. always looking up after you. And uh, then, you know, every time, at the moment, I would just focus on, you know, track times, but... You know, why I did well having the first ever pole position in history in Formula 2, first ever <laughs> victories, first ever second position, all that stuff. It just, you know, people obviously bring it up when you're in the podium, but, and then you realize, like, this is actually happening and yeah. you're writing a history. It's yeah. actually quite impressive. So I'm actually living the dream, loving exactly what I do right now. Obviously, the dream is still, you know, it's close, but still very hard step to be reaching it. But uh, right now, I'm actually just passionate for the, this sport and uh, trying to, you know, give all my best to to this sport. And hopefully, you know, everything can come real. It really shows, and you've not been uh, lacking any uh, trophy and uh, trophies or any kind of silverware this year. Um, not to mention, of course, the Monaco win as well. That must be on your highlights list uh, for this season so far. And it's been a good season for you if we bring it up to speed a little bit in Formula 2 this year. Unfortunately, at Silverstone, you came in leading the championship. Now you're just a couple of points behind in second, but it was a good recovery as well. I had the, I had the pleasure of commenting on you for the first time in Formula 2 during doing the TV stuff. Um, but it was uh, it was a tough uh, few races. Um, and that actually brings me on to sort of a second part of the question as well, if you're, if you're able to answer both. How are you looking at this new look Formula 2 as well with the, the new format and also these long gaps between races as well? Going into the second half of the season, we've got races, you know, Monza, Sochi, Jeddah, Abu Dhabi still left to go. How are you finding it all? And, and going forward, how are you going to look at it? Yeah, so firstly, this trophy right here is actually a Monaco one. <laughs> it's like you mentioned, right? because it's a special one. You have all this. See, you have a sticker here. Oh, nice. oh nice. So it's like that, seeing all the Monaco trophies. And uh, 
Yeah, secondly, I think uh, that's one of my favorite moments. But uh, still, I think uh, winning Silverstone and the Bahrain is something special, just because the Bahrain race, feature race, you know, is always bigger points. It's the main race, so the feature race of Bahrain it was was easy. I was way far down, starting on hard, starting on pole. I don't think that ever happened too much yeah. in history, and so we made it work actually. And then Silverstone, it is, you know, it's a great place to take a victory. You know, it's a home of Formula One motorsports, and so it's a love place with first time. You know, all the fans are here on track. And uh, like you said, you know, this this season F2, you know, we show we're definitely one of the title contender. And uh, obviously, Silverstone was a little bit compromised, but I'm actually quite happy with the way I bounced back after a pretty disaster Saturday to be winning the main race, recover some points. And uh, yeah, looking at the new format, I'm not a huge fan of it, to be honest. Firstly, the gap is way too big. I mean, for me, it's not a big deal. It means I spend more time in the gym, which is something I don't like. I, I love more driving. And uh, the other hand is that the three races, you know, it's when you're on pole, it's nice. You get four points extra. But when you're in second to P10, I don't think, I think there's more chances you get a DNF in race one and starting P10, to be honest, because it's reverse grid. Mm. You know, everything can happen in the race, especially when you're in the mid-pack. So for uh, for me, like experienced driver, it's not really helping. But uh, obviously, for a young rookie coming to Formula 2, if you don't have the best performance in quality, you can maybe win first race. So it's, it's nice for them, but uh, that's how it is. But uh, yeah, in general, I'm, I'm more keen on the old format, to be honest. More tracks, yeah. Mm. You're clearly a very, very fast racing driver. We all know that. But what are you good at outside of racing I, a little birdie told me that you're into your fashion yeah i mean what i'm good at is fashion what i love is fashion and the uh, rap rap, rap oh. I'm right yeah i won't do any rap for you oh. I, I need <laughs> some fashion. it sounds like you and lewis hamilton would get on like a house on fire <laughs> no i love rapping you know hip-hop is is really famous oh. in the recent like five years in china now so Normally just pop music, but the recent years everybody's starting love or into hip hop, and well, I'm one of them. And uh, fashion has always been my side since I was young, young kids. You know, I love dressing cool. I love wearing the stuff. Is that it's like not like a normal outfit for people. It's yeah. something always you know some strange or cool art design. You know, from the designers. Uh, yeah, it's something I always love, and uh, hopefully maybe in the future I can have something. No, my own brand. Amazing. Amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Maybe you can make some oversized clothing because I don't know if you've met Harry so far on the in, during the season in a paddock, but honestly, you've, if you've ever met someone taller, I'll be amazed. He, it's, he doesn't look tall in, on this video, but he's you must be pushing 10 foot by now. The, the guy's he's ridiculous. He's so tall. So can you please, when you create your fashion yeah. label, can you make sure you do some XXX? If you could do a, a big and tall range, yeah. that would be XXXL. I'm not that big. Bloody hell. Um, <laughs> Anyway, we'll move swiftly on there, shall we? Um, let's swi- let's uh, put that on its head, though. So uh, we found out what you like outside of racing. What are you terrible at? Just useless. Well, firstly, jumping from a high distance. 
<laughs> I can't do heights. Hold on. Oh, oh, okay. So it's it's, oh, okay. it's the height part, not the jumping yeah. part. All right, both. Oh, so like okay. a, like a bungee jump. Absolutely yeah, I mean bungee not. jump is not such as a skill. You don't really need to do a backflip. You just have to put just your foot down and jump. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> not just bungee jumps. Like yeah, bungee jumps, skydive. Even like I'm struggling to jump from like three meters. Might be all right <laughs> from five. No. That's it's quite so, high. No, that's quite wow. high. Like if you're if you're jumping into water from you know a cliff or something, five five meters is that's pretty high. I'd struggle with that. Three meters, I think I'll be okay. Yeah, I said it's all right, but I've never tried it. So. Or, or even <laughs> like di- like diving, you know, into a swimming pool. You see on the Olympics oh, no. how high some of these boards yeah, no. are. They yeah. dive from. I don't think I'd want to do that either. We actually just had. Um, Christian Clean on the show, and uh, he was exactly the same. He can't do heights either. So uh, you're in you're in decent company there. Um, we uh, we heard though that you're also quite bad at cycling. Is that true? Well, I don't want to bring that up, but if you do, it's, it's fine. I mean, everybody knows, in, not just in my academy, everybody knows. I think in Formula Two, paddock all my all my competitors, all of these drivers, because I I keep saying like because Renault want me to do a lot of cycling. I was yeah. like, man. I'm okay. really rubbish at it. I just can't. I can't sit in like a a settle saddle for like I don't know six seven hours. I get so <laughs> bored, and you know, just be <laughs> yeah. something. You know, I, I I'm all right. At for example, if if you tell me to do running or something short, hard but intensive, it's fine. But it's all just endurance to keep going, keep going. Because obviously, firstly, if I'm struggling off, you know. Racing up long like two hours, so I'll be doing that. But uh, all this part is fine, so I'm just really hated to doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. Fair enough. It's boring. Fair enough. It is boring. Listen, um, you're you're based in the UK at the moment. Um, you come from China. We in the UK love our Chinese takeaways, our Chinese food. Out of ten, what would you give the English Chinese food? I think if the Cantonese so like. You know the ding song or this part. So I think seven or eight. Oh, yeah. Quite quite well there, but uh, where obviously where I'm coming from, from Shanghai area, and in China, you know, like in UK, most of the food is that kind of stuff. Yeah. But in China, you know, we have so much dishes. I think all the Italian food, English, I don't know, yeah. oh, wow. Australian food, all this adding together might be you know how much dishes we have in China. So. I always try to sound, find something a little bit different, more like back home. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I love hot pop, but I don't think many of you ever tried, but that's one of the f- most famous dish in China. No. You, you boil in a hot, like, soup water with all the raw meat, vegetables. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah something like that. It's, 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 uh, it's the raw stuff that freaks me out. Because I, uh, I alluded to it right at the top of the show, the um, this this crab I had to eat, which is quite a delicacy in, in Shanghai. Last time I was there years ago for, for a Grand Prix, um, I got taken to a restaurant where they had hairy crab. And it's and it's this soft shell crab, which is covered in hair. And and I don't eat fish or anything from under the water. I don't understand why anybody would put any of that stuff in their mouth. The whole thing is disgusting to me. And and they, I had to basically eat this hairy crab like a burger. And mine was pregnant. Oh, it makes me gag thinking about it. Oh. And it, it was just the most revolting thing I've ever had. Sorry, no offense to Chinese food, but it it was. I just couldn't do it. It was horrific. And there's a lot of that kind of hardcore, perceived hardcore food that we in the UK are just completely useless at. Yeah, I mean, believe me, I don't like to try all this. I'm not a big fan <laughs> of seafood too, 
But I don't know something we realize in China. Most of the like fish will have bones inside. Yeah. Where in Europe they try to take it off because in case you can't pick it up, <laughs> you might get stuck in your throat. Yeah. <laughs> but in China we have always like loads of bones, but we're used to it too. <laughs> you can you can handle it more than we can. Um, right, just a couple more quick fire ones for you, Guan Yu. Who's your best friend in the paddock? Uh, I think there's a few. I mean, I'm good good with my teammate Marcus Marcus Armstrong. Yeah, I know him for a long time. And JM, Dan, all these people. I think there's quite a lot. If you to ask me last year, it would be Callum Eilat. But yeah, if you ask me this year, it's quite. Oh. Quite equally. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. A very, a very fair answer. Not political at all. Very diplomatic. <laughs> now, this next question, um, before we come on to our final three, is is, a, is an important one. And sometimes we ask it, sometimes we don't. It depends on the individual. But I feel like in this instance, having heard you speak and had the conversation that we've had, I feel comfortable asking you this question. Would you prefer to be covered in feathers or scales and why? Feathers or scales? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> now some say feathers can help you fly others say scales mean you can swim better it's up it's up to your interpretation but probably i don't mind both but just regarding to what you say i think probably feathers yeah feathers <laughs> strong I'd, answer you're I'd, in good company there absolutely. you are i'd go feathers as well Um, Final three. So we have three final questions that we ask all of our guests. They're brought to you by our partners at Formula One F1 Experiences. Um, I'll kick off this week. Harry, if you don't mind, um, what has got you excited at this very moment? My future. My future in Formula One. And, uh, you know, hopefully can make that coming true in the next two years. We can't wait to see uh, how it unfolds, especially over the summer break as well um, and the second half of the F2 season. Uh, second one for you. What are you... Well, we, I think we may have covered this already, but what are you scared of? I'm scared of, like, these, I don't know, you know, these small bugs, <laughs> little, like these animals, like, not animals, I don't know, if you can see yeah, the like, spider, um, like uh, animal. Insects, small insects, yeah, yeah, like spiders stuff. and... Quick moving things. Wasps. Mm. All this stuff, man. I'm really bad at it. No, no, wasps, I can't handle wasps because they'll sting you no matter what. Bees, yeah. it's all right with because they'll only sting you if you piss them off. So yeah, I don't really I don't really look the difference between them two. <laughs> they're all the same for me. Fair enough. They're all evil. They've all got an agenda. Um, what is your favorite Formula One destination or circuit? Shanghai. I don't yeah. think there's another answer. Yeah, it's got to be. Okay, take take Shanghai out of the equation. What's your favourite F1 destination? Uh, to be honest, I love going to Abu Dhabi. Yeah. I mean, Silverstone is always a good one because it's at my home, but Abu Dhabi, you race at the night, the circuit, you know, it's incredible. When you, you probably have to, you know, wear still a dark visor because how bright all these lights are yeah. and how well you know, the track is in terms of not the layout, just like you know, how well they build the track and the surface is quite impressive. And uh, always you know, done well then. That's also one of the reasons I love to go there. 
It's a it stunning, always looks it's, yeah. so impressive, doesn't it? It's a stunning um, facility. I, a fun fact for you, I was part of the founding team at Yasmarina Circuit. Oh, yeah, you were. I was. I was there. Oh. I was there from 2009. Yeah, I was there right at the you beginning. Built, you built it with I, your own two hands, I, Tim. I basically built it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Well, um, look, Guan Yu Zhou, we've taken up enough of your time. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on the Most Math Podcast. It's been great to get to know you a little bit more about your racing career and outside of it as well. We wish you the best of luck with the uh, second half of the Formula Formula 2 season and uh, we're all very excited to see uh, how your F1 future unfolds being a part of the uh, Alpine F1 Team Academy. Guan Yu Zhou, thank you so much for coming onto the Motormouth podcast. Thank you, Harry and Sid. It was great talking to you guys. Before you go, one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first class hotels, travel and exclusive behind the scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend. F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So to book your F1 Experiences package, head online to f1experiences.com And if you enter code MOTORMOUTH, you'll get 5% off too. Thank you so much for listening to the MOTORMOUTH podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at MOTORMOUTH underscore, Instagram at MOTORMOUTH underscore official, and Facebook, just search MOTORMOUTH. You can also download the MOTORMOUTH app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans, and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, So make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumours quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.